Genesis 31, verse 13. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar, where you made a vow to me. Now arise, leave this land, and return to the land of your birth. Welcome to Walking Through the Book. I'm Stephen McCrary. And I'm Brian Bales. And today we'd like to talk with you about the Bible. Specifically, we want to discuss Genesis chapter 31. Walking Through the Book is all about these three things. We want to encourage Bible reading. We want to demonstrate proper and responsible study of the Bible. We want to emphasize also what the text says, no more and no less. Essentially, we treat the Bible as if it is the book that God has written, and uh, and we want to make sure that we reverence uh, God's Word as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we're really thankful for you taking the time mm-hmm. to listen today, and we hope that it's useful for you. Before we do start, we do want to let you know how to get in touch with us. You can find us on Facebook. If you search at Walking Through the Book, you'll be able to find us very easily. Uh, we also have an email, walking through the book at protonmail.com. You can email us there with any questions or comments. Uh, keep in mind any questions or, or comments that you share might be used in a future episode. Also, you can check out the uh, website of the church that I work with, the North Columbus Church of Christ, and that is northcolumbuschristians.com. Northcolumbuschristians.com. I work with a small church in Columbus, Mississippi. And uh, we're actually just about to get started with a gospel meeting in a a couple of weeks with a fellow named Jonathan Brown. And that's going to be April 22nd through the 27th. Mm. So if you happen to be in town around that time, uh, feel free to uh, stop by. And uh, this uh, hopefully this episode will be up and out before then. Uh, But at any rate, uh, Brian, why don't you go into some of the uh, flow of the program and the different segments that we do each episode and of course, let the listeners know how to get in touch with you. So uh, I meet with a church in Savannah, like Stephen was saying, uh, Savannah, Georgia, on the East Coast. And we have a website, uh, GardenCityCoc.org. So Garden City is a, uh, it's a town just west of downtown Savannah. And the building where the church meets is on a road that goes immediately outside of the, the downtown area. Um, we always have a lot of visitors from uh, around the country, and so if you're ever in the in the area, uh, it's 4506 Augusta Road, um, and I'd love to get to know you if you come in the area, and the other brethren would as well. So please uh, find us on Facebook. We have a Facebook page, and let us know if you're going to be in the area. We would love to spend time with you and show you around Savannah and eat some good Savannah food with you. Um, so, so yeah, just like Stephen said, we are really trying to just simply reverence who God is. Um, Just like in John 1, 1, um, Jesus is the Logos. He is the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word is God. And so our our treatment of the Word is really in direct relation to our view of God. And so we want to be challenged by the Word, but we want to be challenged by the Word as it is without needing to go through like another book or another person 
Uh, we really do believe that just looking at the word as it is, is the most powerful way to study scripture. And it's not that we think any other book is wrong or bad to read or study. It's just that, like Stephen said, we really want to encourage just the, the glory and the beauty. And um, we just want to encourage how much we, we, we feel we can gain from just con- conversing with each other over the word. So the flow of the program, we uh, do it the same way every, every episode. We start with just initial observations after we read the chapter or chapters that we've chosen to go through. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 31 today, and after we read Genesis 31, we'll just talk about some initial observations from the text that stuck out to us, and then after that, we'll look at some themes that might relate to kind of the greater story of Genesis as we've seen it, um, or as we anticipate it'll it'll go. Uh, and then we might also see themes, just the greater aspects of what God has done through Jesus or the history of Israel And finally, we try to make some uh, applications at the end of every episode, um, which always going through um, a historical narrative like Genesis, the the applications having some um, very strong um, illustrative, I guess, attachments to them can really make those applications very profound and powerful, very memorable in the way they stick in the mind. And so that's that's how we'll be going through the uh, podcast today. And we're so glad you're you're joining us for that. Very good. And uh, I will be reading out of the New King James Version, Genesis 31. Genesis 31. Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons, saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from what was our father's he has acquired all this wealth. And Jacob saw the countenance of Laban, and indeed it was not favorable toward him as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field to his flock and said to them, I see your father's countenance, that it is not favorable toward me as before, but the God of my father has been with me, and you know that with all my might I have served your father, yet your father has deceived me, and changed my wages ten times, but God did not allow him to hurt me. If he said thus, the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore speckled, and if he said thus, the streaked shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked. So God has taken away the livestock of your father, and given them to me. And it happened at the time when the flocks conceived, that I lifted my eyes and saw in a dream, and behold, the rams which leaped upon the flocks were streaked, speckled, and gray-spotted. Then the angel of God spoke to me in a dream, saying, Jacob. And I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift your eyes now and see. All the rams which leap on the fields are streaked, speckled, and gray-spotted. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar, and where you made a vow to me. 
Now arise, get out of this land, and return to the land of your family. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there still any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not considered strangers by him? For he has sold us, and also completely consumed our money. For all these riches which God has taken from our father are really ours, and our children's. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do it. Then Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. And he carried away all his livestock and all his possessions which he had gained, his acquired livestock which he had gained in Padanaram, to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. Now Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the household idols that were her father's. And Jacob stole away, unknown to Laban the Syrian, and that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. So he fled with all he had. He arose and crossed the river and headed toward the mountains of Gilead. And Laban was told on the third day that Jacob had fled. Then he took his brethren with him and pursued him for seven days' journey, and he overtook him in the mountains of Gilead. But God had come to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. So Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mountains, and Laban with his brethren pitched in the mountains of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done, that you have stolen away unknown to me, and carried away my daughters like captives taken with the sword? Why did you flee away secretly, and steal away from me, and not tell me? For I might have sent you away with joy and songs, with timbrel and harp. And you did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters. Now you have done foolishly in so doing. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. And now you have surely gone, because you greatly long for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Then Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid. For I said, Perhaps you would take your daughters from me by force. With whomever you find your gods, do not let them live. In the presence of our brethren, identify what I have of yours and take it with you. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. And Laban went into Jacob's tent, into Leah's tent, and into the two maids' tents. But he did not find them. Then he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household idols, put them in the camel's saddle, and sat on them. And Laban searched all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let it not displease my lord that I cannot rise before you, for the manner of women is with me. And he searched, but did not find the household idols. Then Jacob was angry, and rebuked Laban. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, What is my trespass? What is my sin that you have so hotly pursued me? Although you have searched all my things, what part of your household things have you found? Set it here before my brethren and your brethren, that they may judge between us both. These twenty years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried their young, and I have not eaten the rams of your flock. That which was torn by beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it. You required it from my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was, in the day the drought consumed me, and the frost by night, and my sleep departed from my eyes. Thus I have been in your house twenty years, 
I served you fourteen years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages ten times. Unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Laban answered and said to Jacob, These daughters are my daughters, and these children are my children, and this flock is my flock. All that you see is mine. But what can I do this day to these my daughters, or to their children whom they have borne? Now therefore come, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. Then Jacob said to his brethren, Gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there on the heap. Laban called it Yegar Sahadutha, but Jacob called it Galid. And Laban said, This heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore its name was called Galid. Also Mizpah, because he said, May the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent one from another. If you afflict any daughters, or if you take other wives beside my, besides my... <coughs> If you afflict my daughters, or if you take other wives besides my daughters, although no man is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, Here is this heap, and here is this pillar, which I have placed between you and me. This heap is a witness, and this pillar is a witness, that I will not pass beyond this heap to you, and you will not pass beyond this heap and this pillar to me for harm. The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, and the God of their father judge between us. And Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain, and called his brethren to eat bread. And they ate bread, and stayed all night on the mountain. And early in the morning Laban arose, and kissed his sons and daughters, and blessed them. Then Laban departed, and returned to his place. So this is the section of the uh, program that we want to go over, uh, maybe a more localized view of how things are looking. And uh, Brian, what are some things that you know, just popped out at you during that reading and some things that just immediately uh, drew your focus? I think one of the, one of the big things for me is just uh, the way that Laban treated Jacob and what happened through that treatment is is interesting and uh there's probably some points in that we'll we'll talk about later but um it's interesting it's almost like uh laban saw that he was being blessed because of jacob but instead of treating jacob well because of that it's actually emphasized multiple times i think is it verse seven changed my wages ten times and then in verse 38 through 41, he says it again, but he details a little bit more 
how badly he was being treated. And I just, I find that very surprising because obviously Jacob refers to how hard he was working and Laban was getting so much profit from Jacob being there. So you would just, you'd expect it to be a lot different. So it seems like it's almost like a, almost like a shocking twist to find out that Jacob was so miserable the entire time. Yeah, that's an interesting thing to say too, because we don't have too much detail, particularly on this time period. Um, It's not necessarily stretched out, but this is a big event that's being stretched out. Oh, Stephen. Uh-huh. Oh, man. Oh, man. How, How miserable Jacob was compelled him to have the desire he needed to have to leave when God said it was time to go. Right. Yeah. No, I would, I would totally agree. Um, that's interesting. Yeah. And, and that, that God through Providence allowed, allowed that situation to come to pass to almost urge him. Right. To go back. Right, right, right. Interesting. I wonder if that would have like somewhere deep in his heart made him really want to go back home to that place of promise. Hmm. Well, at the at the very least, this is an act of obedience. Yeah. But uh, you know, we all you know can understand. I think we could see if we had been treated this way. I mean, might feel the same way uh, as Jacob ultimately. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. But yeah, the the treatment of Laban, the treatment of Laban's sons toward Jacob. Oh yeah. yeah. Um. You know, there there there's a lot of hostility here, mm. and so. Uh, again, we see Genesis as a book of separation Mm -hmm. and Jacob is separating from Laban at this time. Mm. You know, one thing I I thought about too, uh, was just kind of how this is such a, uh, simple story and it's really easy for us to understand. I think, Mm. um, there have been some things in the course of Genesis that have been really, really difficult. And Brian, I don't know how you feel about this, but I think, um, I think that covenant, uh, what was it? Genesis the covenant 15. that where do what now? Talk about Genesis fifteen. Well, wherever Abraham had to cut up the yep, the right. animals, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I knew. Yeah, that I think going, that's yeah. the that's the <laughs> most challenging one. I think that we had to wrestle with, like, yep. what in the world is going on here? Absolutely. But thankfully, there's nothing here like that. We can easily understand what's going on. Right. Right. Um, and all this, all these are things that God has has accomplished with His providence, mm-hmm. um, and, and and you see Jacob's relationship with God, um, I think, really take root here. Um, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but I do see, like, in verse five, he he refers to you know the God of my father has been with me. Mm-hmm. He's telling this to his wives, mm-hmm. and so he knows that. Um, very similar statement in verse, uh, when you look at, uh, what is it? Verse 42, you know, unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac had been with me, you know, uh, he knows that he's, he, he's there and Laban's there and they've been blessed that way. He knows that it's only because mm. of, of the one true God, right. which interestingly, the fear of Isaac it's, it, that's an interesting phrase, uh, and he uses it later on in verse 53. Um, you know, Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. 
Um, I, I wonder if we're getting something more about Isaac in that phrase itself mm. that, you know, it, it's the God of Abraham, you know, and, and you know, really it, it, it's, it's an interesting way to put that because the God of my father, well, his father was Isaac, but he's also the God of Abraham and specifically he's the fear of Isaac. Yeah. It's interesting. I wonder, I wonder if that's speaking to, an attitude that was hidden in Isaac's part of the story that was really subtle that I think we talked a little bit about that, but for him to say the fear of Isaac, I, I wonder if he saw the fear of God in his father. Hmm. Well, you know, how, how would it affect you to know that there was a time when your grandfather was going to offer your father on an altar and your father went along with it? And your father had had the kind of faith to say, you know what, this is this is it. <laughs> I mean, it, again, I think we commented commented way back in uh, Genesis, what was it, twenty two, like ten chapters ago, that uh, that Isaac does not seem to fight uh, this notion whatsoever. Um, he has that trust and that faith. Um, and that fear and that reverence. So, uh, uh, yeah, it's really, really interesting things to, to consider there that, that we have. And we've talked about how little we get about Isaac. Well, now here, I think we're getting maybe a little bit more uh, about Isaac. Uh, so just really thought that was, it's really interesting to see Jacob's relationship with God develop. And the neat thing is we're going to see it develop even more in the next few chapters. Yeah, there, there's a lot of interesting things in this chapter. It's it's interesting that Genesis, this book is strange. You know, like, I don't know if this is more of a, a theme thing, but I mean, this is, I guess, a general observation. But like the book starts, God creates everything, you know, and then all of a sudden now in Genesis 31, it's like two guys interacting and the one that God is actually with is like, being mistreated and God only says like one thing in this whole story and it's basically just one little sentence and it's not anything that like you know Laban's not like utterly terrified it seems by what God said he's just like well you know God told me not to say anything so I'll just let you know that God's the reason why I'm not hurting you so obviously like he wasn't overly intimidated by what he heard from God besides just I guess being somewhat obedient I guess so I don't know. It just it's just very fascinating to me how like the book has transitioned from these grandiose acts like the flood and the creation and you know these grand things that were were going on with 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 Abraham and now uh, Jacob. It's like there's this really huge just seeming transition with the nature of this story. I just think it's very interesting. There's a there's a narrowing of focus. Yeah, all throughout yeah. the book. Right, and, and, it, it, can, oh, and it continues. Oh, very interesting. Yeah, and it continues. It continues until until you finally have one small family going to mm. Egypt. Yeah, and then yeah. in Exodus we see that focus start to expand a little. Ah, oh, that's so interesting. You know, that is very interesting. Um, yeah, I like that. But uh, you know, one thing to note too about what Laban says there. Uh, remember that he says, "The God of your father spoke to me last night." Again, this mm. distancing between himself and God, and mm. uh, and you know, 
some application to be made there, but uh, just wanted to notice that as well. That even though he, you know, this is not his God, quote unquote, wow. at least he has some understanding or some appreciation of his wishes. Wow. So, yeah, I wonder if that's even a part of the covenant is God hides himself for Jacob to recognize, but Laban may actually credit the gain he's received to his own gods. And so mm. Laban may be totally blind to the, the real impact that Jacob perceives God has had on the nature of his relationship with Laban. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Laban's attitude is very interesting in this chapter. There's there's a lot of things that he says, and it's almost like, I don't know, it's, it's interesting how much of Laban's perspective we get here. Yeah, and, you know, interesting perspective because, I mean, this is like the last time, essentially, we're going to see Laban. Right. And uh, yeah, That's fascinating. Yeah, I do want to notice, too, that uh, with Rachel and Leah, their attitudes seem to be, like, really good, like, collectively. Mm. Mm. They've they've really been at odds, you know, in the previous chapters. But you know, the the statement in verse sixteen, now then whatever God has said to you, do it. Um, mm. they're on board, they're totally, you know, they're gonna be it's essentially a sense where they're along with their husband uh for this and uh, and they know that this is God's wishes. And and you have to keep in mind they're leaving the only home they've known. Um, you know, Jacob knows where he's going. Uh, they've never seen that place. And so essentially Rachel and Leah are being called upon by God to do the same thing that Abraham did. Um, and, and it seems like they're willing to go. And now, of course, I think the, 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 uh, problem here that might be is that, you know, of course, Rachel stealing the idols obviously shows there's some, sense there that she wants to hold on to what she had back home. Um, I don't know if she's taking them for souvenirs. Um, I would be surprised if she intends to worship them. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't really know. And we're not really given that in the text. But obviously she takes them for some sort of reason. She wants to hold on to them for some sort of reason. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts about that? One thing I was noticing as you were describing Rachel and Leah is back in verse 15 that they perceived that they had become basically worthless to Laban. I think that's pretty interesting. Hmm. I don't know if I've ever like thought about that second phrase in the verse for he has sold us and has also entirely consumed our purchase price. What, is, what does that mean, our purchase price? Does that mean like... Uh, Jacob, what he gave to Laban was like spent out. Um, I mean, I think you could read it that way. Hmm. That his work, you know, his work was something of of uh, actual worth toward Laban. And uh, yeah, no, I, I would I would agree with that. That's, yeah, that's, so that's that's really interesting. Yeah, and what what it what it basically is is I mean. He, he gives them up to to Jacob, basically. And even in the language of the previous chapters, I think that's kind of the, the basic idea. Hmm. 
So in the theme section, of course, we want to focus on uh, the greater picture of the Bible. And we want to pull in all these other references uh, from the Old Testament, from the New Testament, to really uh, tie some threads together uh, so that our appreciation of this passage can be increased that much more. And so, uh, Bryant, uh, you know, Laban, we've talked about how Laban is really unhappy with Jacob. Um, Laban's sons seem really unhappy with Jacob. It really seems to me that this concern is very similar to uh, the Jews, that the, the ruling Jews had with, with Jesus. Um, you know, John 11 and verse 47, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered counsel and said, What shall we do for this man works many signs? If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. Now, they weren't worried about Jesus necessarily taking away their place, but they certainly could understand and see that the focus that the people had on Jesus was taking away focus from them. And uh, we see that in the case of the Gospels. Um, you know, does that, uh, w would you agree with that, Bryant? And what, what are some things, some thoughts you might have about that? Yeah, definitely, definitely agree. I know a couple other scriptures that uh, we kind of had mentioned with, with that, John twelve nineteen. Uh, the Pharisees said, "One of you see that you are not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him." You know, it's that that idea of that that jealousy that everything that was viewed to be theirs was being taken away from them. You know, what they what they thought belonged to them greedily was being given to Jesus. Um, and then Romans nine uh, four and five. Uh, let's see. Paul is talking about the right of physical Israel. It says, Who are Israelites to whom belongs the adoption of sons and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple services and the promises? Whose are the fathers and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh, who is over all God blessed forever. Amen. So I think there's there's a lot, there's a lot that thematically ties into what the sons said. And it's interesting that it was the sons who said that, that it wasn't it wasn't Laban, but it was Laban's children. I wonder, I hadn't thought about this before, Stephen, and we didn't, we didn't talk about this before, that the sons should have had the inheritance. I wonder if they viewed what Jacob was doing as he was getting their inheritance. And I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that before. Um, and it's like their, their inheritance is now going to a stranger, you know, in their, in their eyes. Um, was, well, we're going to see go we're going to see a generation later, uh, Joseph being treated essentially in the same way by his older brothers. Right, right, right. And right. so, you know, we know, and, and we can talk about you know Jacob had favoritism, Isaac and Rebecca had favoritism. Well, sure, we understand that, and we get that. But what is it here? Laban's not showing any favoritism toward Jacob. He's not right. showering things on him. This is God blessing Jacob providentially. Mm. And and that's that's very different. And 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 the thing is, like regardless of what happens, I think there is a tendency that we might get into where we look upon someone who's being really blessed and, and have that that kind of attitude of course. But um I, I think all throughout scriptures you see these situations, times where the righteous are being blessed 
and the wicked uh, become envious of that, right? And and try to try to pull that away from them, you know. Um, and I know that doesn't work that way every single time, because there are sometimes when the wicked prosper, right? And you know, there are so many times in the Old Testament where the wicked are prospering, and and the the writer is saying, you know, Lord, what's happening? Why is this going on? You know, the reality is that that. You know, just as Jesus says in the uh, Beatitudes, not the Beatitudes, it's thrown on the mouth, that God makes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Mm. Um, so there's an equalizer aspect there. But when we see someone being blessed in that way, I mean, we, you know, I think we can understand, like you say, Brian, Laban's sons probably aren't very happy because they're saying, hey, he's cutting into our inheritance. Mm. Um, in many ways, the Jews viewed the nation and their place and their power as their proper place and their inheritance as given by God. And here comes this upstart uh, to basically upset the apple cart. Mm. And uh, I just saw a lot of similarities there. Yeah, well, that's really interesting. And, you know, the Bible actually ends in Revelation 22, um, verse 26 with the idea of all the glory of the nations being brought into the heavenly Jerusalem. And that's also, yes. uh, that's also in Isaiah 60, kind of as a theme of the whole chapter in Isaiah 60 is once, once God fulfills the work that the Messiah, that the Messiah was sent to complete, you know, the nations are going to now come because of the glory of God being seen over his people. Um, so, and actually I noticed something too. I have a notation. Um, I don't know if your Bible has this notation that the word wealth in verse one literally means glory. So the word for glory, they're saying that Jacob had taken the glory from their father's house. And that's, oh. that's what said in Revelation 22 is the glory of the nations was being brought into the new Jerusalem. Well, that's something to think about too. Like, you know, that certainly when we bring in Revelation twenty-two, that's that's spiritual glory, that's spiritual wealth being emphasized. Right. And uh, and you see that same distinction with uh, you know in chapter three of Revelation with Laodicea. You know, they think they're rich because they are physically rich, it would seem, but they're actually mm. very much poor spiritually, and so. You know, if we if we pull that this into that light, I think it, it it teaches some lessons. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting too. Like Genesis, I don't think we've seen Abraham or Isaac struggle like this. Do you remember any time where we've seen mm. them actually like really suffer? Really, I'm trying to think. Because I mean, they well, I don't think it was I don't think it was fun for Abraham to take his son up to the mountain. <laughs> Right, you right. know that was that probably might be that's, yeah, the that's the closest thing. I can think of it. Yeah, because they're not when they're suffering, you know, with with Pharaoh and with Abimelech. It's not because of them doing the right thing; it's because of them doing the wrong thing. Right, but it still doesn't like doesn't indicate that they were necessarily suffering in Egypt or suffering in the Philistine territory. Right. No. No. So I wonder if I wonder if this is like. Because we, we keep talking about the progression of really God revealing the nature of his covenant. What's his covenant for? 
And uh, I think it, I think it is interesting that, like you mentioned in the initial observations, there's obviously a separation that happens again here, as is what seems to be the main theme in Genesis is the theme of separation. But how that separation happens and the purpose of that separation, because like Egypt, I, Abraham came out of Egypt rich. Isaac came out of Abimelech's territory rich. So we've seen that already, that they separated and then they made covenants with one another. And then the promised person was was rich because of their presence there. But this time, it's because of the oppression and the... Um, Oh, Stephen, you know what's really interesting? No, 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 no. That doesn't that doesn't apply. Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. Forget that thought. But it is it is interesting though that like we talked about before, Jacob suffered in a foreign place, which would have compelled him to have that yearning to go back to the place of promise. And that in the process of his suffering, the wealth that would go back with him to the place of promise was accumulating. Um, which is interesting to think about. Because I think something to think about on that is, um, you know, God's, his active grace, like Psalm 23, David perceiving the Lord was, was his shepherd actively and presently, not just at some point in the future after death. And I think maybe this kind of serves as um, almost like a, a literal example of a spiritual principle. You know, Jacob could clearly perceive as he was struggling how his flocks were multiplying, and he knew he knew what the purpose of that was. Like, he knew he was leaving eventually, right? And I, I wonder if him perceiving that God was with him and actively seeing the multiplication of those blessings was giving him comfort to endure and continue to suffer, knowing that God was demonstrating his purpose to judge in the future when it was time so that when God did speak, Jacob was, I mean, he was waiting and expecting that, right? And I, I, there's so many lessons that come out of that. I, I wonder if that also relates to us, like spiritually perceiving God repays us according to our works as we have faith that God is proud of us and multiplies his grace towards us in this present life. And, and I wonder if it equips us to be eager and ready for him to call us to that place of promise that he's he sent us away from and is calling us back to. Well, you know, a, another aspect that we, you know, if we're tying the, the knots here too, and that this kind of dovetails off of that is that God remembers. God remembers this, uh, this altar that Jacob builds in Bethel. Mm-hmm. Um and you know the, mm, there mm. there are things later on that we see that that, that harken yeah. back to this time, yeah. yeah. Um, right. And, you know, right. making sure we see those threads and those connections all through the scriptures really help us um, really tie it together, and it becomes that much more real to understand that you know, oh. all of this is actually connected. Stephen, this is going to sound really crazy. okay get ready get ready folks but just buckle up and and hear me out it's it's more the principle of this so verse 13 the anointed pillar that god had a definite time and mark of where the promise originated from in order for jacob to have that mark to associate that with and it's at that mark that the place to heaven opened and where god called jacob and told him he would be with him and said, I'm going to bring you back. I wonder if that relates to our baptism. 
Mm. Like Romans 6, Colossians 2, Ephesians 2, that there's this marked moment of time where God does this work of promise where he, like Jesus in John 17 says, I send them as you've sent me. So in a sense, you know, Romans 6 and Colossians 2 and Ephesians 2 teach that at the point of salvation, our, our, our inheritance is raised into the heavenly places at that point, but we remain because God calls us to dwell here in this foreign place, trusting in his promises so that the glory, the glory of the nations can be brought into that new Jerusalem. Um, and, and that, that, that reminder of verse 13, you know, I'm the God of Bethel where you anointed that pillar. And I wonder if for us, the like Romans and that reflection, Romans six, God is the God who called us and made us promise us at the point of our salvation. He gave us the Holy Spirit as a as a as a deposit that God would complete that work, that He would be with us, that He would complete this this process of sanctification through our suffering, and that He will call us back when it's time for judgment. Um, and anyway, I wonder if the idea of that that pillar being that that moment and that mark of promise relates to that. First uh, Peter three, uh, baptism is the answer of a good conscience toward God. Um, mm. The fact that in mean, Acts twenty two sixteen, you're in the act of baptism. I would pull from that that we're calling upon the name of God, mm. we're calling upon mm. God to you know cleanse us and to save us at that time. Uh, so I, I would say that's very similar to what he's saying from the standpoint that, you know, the you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Mm, there is an aspect man. there where oh, we're telling God, yeah. wow. you know, I want you to save me right. so you can make me right. into your right. child. And man, uh, and I wonder, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. I was going to say like a part of our baptism too is, is the acknowledgement. This is an individualized covenant. You know, God saved me. God loves me. He's committed himself to me. Jacob was in the middle of a desert when God appeared to him at Bethel. It was just him and God. And I wonder if that's a part of this covenant is despite Jacob is about to turn into a nation, it's Jacob and God. Oh man, Stephen, think about when his name is changed into Israel later. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's the theme section, so I feel safe doing this. But yeah, he's he's he. It's not until he gets alone that he wrestles with the angel, and he's renamed into Israel. Mm-hmm. So in at Bethel, he was alone, and then when he's named Israel, he's also alone. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's that's very very interesting. He's he's humbled each time, right? Yes, yes because yes, you know when when point. he when he right. when he makes that vow at Bethel, he's fled. He's, he's, he's in a fearful place and he, he, you know, he's, he, he ran away scared from his brother Esau. Mm. And now, uh, in the, in the upcoming chapter, right. Uh, we're going to see where, you know, God is trying to sort of remind him, Hey, you think, you know, I blessed you, but, but I don't know. I mean, is this, is this like a Job thing? Is this like, Anyway, maybe we'll, I'm sorry, we'll get into that actually later. That's because that's not this chapter, but, um, but, but, you know, right now, again, it does go back to this, this relationship between God and Jacob. And it always does come down to the individual, doesn't it? That's, that's the way that God, uh, approaches us and reaches out to us. He says, listen, you know, I want you 
you know, and, and, and how touching that is that, uh, that God throughout all millennia, uh, he knows me, he knows me as an individual and he calls to me as an individual to become his child through his word mm-hmm. and through his truth. Um, and that there is, you know, I think you made the point too in our notes that, uh, you know, it's a three day journey to depart from Laban here. Oh yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up. I was just thinking about that. I was just looking at that. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna try to say some of this quick because it's. I think it's it's hemorrhaging out of my mind as fast as it's going into my mind. Well, but, we had a, we had a reference to Luke 11 in our show notes. Let's see, Luke 11. Let me turn there. Verses 21 and 22. What does that say? Let's see. Oh yes, 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 yes. Yeah, it's the. When Jesus is casting out demons and he's accused of casting out demons by the power of the devil. And he says, when a strong man fully armed guards his own house, his possessions are undisturbed. But when someone stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away from him all his armor in which he had relied and distributes his plunder. Just the idea that Jesus was robbing Satan of his goods. It's interesting, too, that it was under the nose of Satan. Like, Jesus came in a form where... It's almost like it inflamed Satan's covetous greed. And it's kind of like Satan squeezing him of all he's worth, just really pressing him as hard as he can. But it's like the harder you squeeze Jesus, the more you're going to get robbed. (laughs) And it's like that's the same thing that happened here. And it's interesting that this three-day journey permanently separated him and Laban. So think about it. After the three-day journey when Laban fights him, the hostility is ended Mm. and they make a covenant with each other and there's peace and they will never cross that barrier of that, that pillar they made Uh, the pillar in verse 51, this heap. And it says, uh, behold this heap and behold the pillar which I've set between you and me, the heap will be a witness. So there was like a covenantal barrier now and the one would not cross the other. So there was a time of, just great distress great difficulty and that time was a time when all the all the wealth was being taken out of laban's household and being given to jacob and then once he departed it 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 was over it's kind of like the exodus when they crossed the red sea i mean it was done it was over that is something to think about too because satan faced his defeat at the cross right like utterly you know, any way he could have ever had to win, it stopped right then and there. Oh, um, yeah. Be- oh, and now, like- uh, and now it seems like all we have, because again, you don't see the same kind of, you know, y- you do have demonic possession in the book of Acts, but I would even argue there that it's not quite like what you see in the gospels. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and it seems like, you know, Satan is trying to attack the, the people of God very quickly and very, very harshly, but, you know, his abilities are only limited. Right? You know, he can only do so much. And, it, uh, you know, I, I would, I would, I would agree with what you're saying there, but you had more. What, and it's, it's interesting that Laban was, his violence was disarmed through words that God mm. spoke. Mm. I, think, I think that's interesting. And it's interesting, too, that after the three and a half days, um, or three days, uh, not three and a half, it's, I've been teaching Revelation, so three and a half is, is in my <laughs> mind, but um, it's interesting that 
after that covenant was made, the rest of that time was taking his possessions back to his father. And doesn't that just sound like when Jesus rose from the dead, what is he doing now but taking taking captivity captive, taking those who are brought out of the world, taking it's a journey back to the father and taking Mm. them all to be present them back to the father. And I wonder if that's also a a type that relates to the church. Jacob defends himself before Laban and makes it very clear that to him, again, we've touched on this already, but just a brief note, um, you know, he points out to him, this is, this is wrong. (laughs) The way you've been treating me is wrong. Um, and, and, I do want to address that too, because mm-hmm. is there a place here where we can under? And well, let me let me tie this in, and then we'll actually bring it back up in the next section. So in Numbers fourteen and uh, verse twenty-two, you know, God makes it clear to the Israelites. He says, because all these men who have seen my glory in the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice. Um, there was a constant uh, pulling from the Israelites that, you know, mm. uh, that, 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 you know, what's God doing for us? You know, what, what's God done for us lately? Um, but God defends himself. First uh, Samuel 12. This is an interesting statement that Samuel says to, to Israel. Um, he says, I've heeded your voice. And, uh, he basically says, here I am witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed, whose ox have I taken or whose donkey have I taken or whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed or from whose hand have I received any bribe with which to blind my eyes? I will restore it to you. And they said, you have not cheated us or oppressed us, nor have you taken anything from any man's hand. He said, and the Lord is witness against you and has anointed his witness this day. You have not found anything in my hand. I, I would, I would say, that there's an aspect there. There, there are some examples here that we can say that that there is a place for God's people to make it known that this is not right, or mm-hmm. to you know stand against things that are wrong. I think one connection is in Numbers fourteen twenty two. It's interesting that God says that the people had put him to the test ten times. Uh, at the point where they reached the border of Canaan. Um, I don't know, they're just really interesting. It just kind of makes me think there might might be a connection with the way Laban treated Jacob really is the way that we treat God. Um, And just like Jacob, Jacob was being oppressed heavily to the point where he just could not wait for judgment to be executed to escape. I wonder if that's how God feels when we're in our sin, you know, as we're, it's, it's like we're pressing God to the point of death and, and don't care because of greed and covetousness. The psalmists really felt that way, by the way. I, I've really been reading psalms for a while now, and sometimes it's difficult to relate to how much passion the psalmists have against wickedness. But I think why they had so much passion is because they associated themselves so closely the heart of God, that they were so legitimately oppressed by the evils of this present life, that just like Jacob, they yearned for God's judgment and deliverance, just like Jacob. I mean, what was Jacob doing? He's just waiting around like, God, you know, I 
I know you promised, so just whenever you're ready, you know, but it's pretty bad right now. And I think that's the story of the psalmists, you know, is they, they're, they're deeply oppressed, but, but they trust in the Lord. And um, I really don't feel that oppression like I should, you know, because that, that, hasn't, that hasn't stopped just because Jesus has risen. You know, like we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, I think chapter 4, chapter 6 as well, Paul talks about how, how deeply oppressed he was while he was doing the will of the Lord. Um, so I, I wonder if, if, if the more we associate ourselves with God's covenant and the more we place ourselves in the position of Christ, the more we'll be placed in that position of oppression and yearn for deliverance. Um, but, but obviously I think on, 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 on a more, more relatable note, you know, I think, I think you're, you're right with that, that, you know, there's a time to exercise judgment, you know, and to, to, to notice when things have gone to the conclusion of where they should go. And then, you know, if, if a case needs to be made, you know, the case can be made because it seems like Jacob did that in a righteous way here, not out of, not out of bitter intention because he didn't, he didn't attack Laban. He didn't, he didn't like get in some huge argument with him. He just stated the facts and let the facts speak for themselves. Yeah, it it seems like he might be using uh, language that might seem harsh to us, but it is just a simple aspect of understanding that you know this is uh, he's he's simply arguing from the standpoint, not arguing in the sense of uh, a, a fight, but he's basically laying out in front of him and saying, "Look, you know what wrong have I done?" Um, hmm. So, no. Just some things to point out, some things to think about there. Well, I wonder if Jacob, if he would have let bitterness sink in. Because, I mean, man, 20 years and you're, he said he's being consumed by heat and frost by night and then not sleeping. I mean, eventually I'd go crazy, you know, like I'd snap. So I, I think it's, 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 it's a testament to how gentle Jacob must have become. Uh, that he didn't like when God told him to leave that Jacob didn't say, here's my chance to kill this guy. And then like, I'm sure he had a lot of people with him, obviously. So he could have like said, Hey, we're going to overthrow the camp of Laban and we're going to take everything. Like this guy, this guy has it coming to him, you know, but they just like slip away by night. And then when Laban catches them, he's just like, Hey man, you've just been really treating me bad. So I left. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's just a, a lot of interesting things to see there. And you see that, you know, Jacob's relationship with God actually, I think, helps him to be able to say these things. Because yeah. obviously, I mean, has, has he been making this known to Laban beforehand? I, I don't yeah, know. It would seem not, that yeah. I, I, I get the impression that he he suffered all these things and didn't say a word about it to Laban. It's oh, so amazing. And, uh, you know, it's just really, really cool. Yeah, I'm probably leaking into application, but um, isn't it easy to, like, complain? Or if you get mistreated, like, let that totally disrupt whatever progress you've been making in your faith, you know? Uh, isn't it, like, Philippians? No, I, don't, I don't think anybody has a problem with that. Yeah, <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> Not a struggle at all. Yeah, Philippians 2, I think it is, talks about do all things without grumbling and disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. 
Yeah. So I know, I know I've struggled with that. Like, um, I, I mentioned my UPS job a couple of times now. Um, but I, I think I even mentioned this particular instance, but yeah, it's really, really affected me a lot when it happened, um, in a, in a way I regret, but you know, when, when my boss, there was one day where, and there were a lot of days like this where it felt like everything was going wrong and it's just like absolute chaos. And, you know, yeah, there, and there was one day where I was getting screamed at over the radio by my boss. And then I screamed back at him over the radio, you know, and, um, it didn't take long. I mean, it was just, that was, you know, uh, after working there for a little while and, you know, just the pressure, I let the pressure get to me in a way that was not consistent with, with faith at all. Um, and it's, it's interesting that Jacob knew so much less about God and yet his faith is so amazing, you know, like, I just think that's, that's so incredible that he's so gentle toward Laban when Laban was obviously treating him a lot worse than, you know, my UPS boss never physically did anything to me. You know, it just it just was a lot of pressure. That's all. Um, so it really shame on me that pressure without any real abuse can do so much when pressure with abuse did so little to Jacob. As we say typically on this show, uh, you can listen to a hundred sermons, a thousand sermons. And how many, how many lessons, Brian, do you think people typically hear all throughout their life if they're a churchgoer? And I think thousands was correct. Yeah, and it's you know, really interesting to think about that. But I mean, you know, we still have these problems. Um, you know, I, I, I heard a really good lesson on. Uh, modesty years ago i listened mm. to the cd of it from from a congregation it was one of the elders that had delivered the lesson and uh he kind of at the start of the lesson said you know people people have said you know i think he even came across as saying even people in this congregation have said you know why should we have to listen to this we know it and he basically said we're going to preach and teach about this as long as it as it occurs among god's people mm. and uh and that that really has stuck with me uh that that instance that you know you can hear the lesson but until you actually begin to apply it and allow god's word to change your life um you're not really truly helped mm. and uh and in fact i would say that continuing to listen to lessons and going to studies without really allowing your life to be changed uh, really leads to a very hollow existence mm. and uh, it's not good for you. Mm. And in fact, uh, it's very disrespectful, I think, to the truth. Um, so that's what we want to try to do with this uh, with this section is to think about some things that, that we've learned through the scope of uh, considering this passage and to think about, you know, what does this really mean? You know, what does this say that I should be doing or saying? So, um, you know, we, we've talked about how Laban and his family are treating Jacob. And, and there's this great lack of perception of righteousness here. Um, and again, it's so interesting because 
I think it's the previous chapter mm. that Laban even vocally agrees. You know, I understand that, you know, God, uh, you look back in chapter 30 and what is it? Verse 27. I've learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. Mm. Right. And so he understands that and he sees it, but now it's becoming a source of bitterness because Jacob is being uh, increased so much. And so, when uh, I think there's a lesson there that when we see someone doing well, when we see things going well for somebody, that should never be a case for bitterness or mistreatment on our case. Um, you know, even if I think the only, uh, e- even if someone is prospering because of wrongdoing, right? Let's say that that you know that someone is is you know, uh, let's say a fellow Christian is fudging the numbers. Uh, in their business and doing things that that are wrong, uh, that even though, you know, we find that right, we find that in some businesses, you you can do things that are technically wrong or technically maybe even illegal, but everybody does them, and so it's accepted. Well, God doesn't accept it, and so even when someone is prospering because of wrongdoing, you know, yeah, there's a place where we can reach out to them and say, hey, listen, I don't think this is right. I think you need to consider this. Think about what God is thinking about this. You know, what do you think God says about that? But even then, um, this is a materialistic, I think, anger that is coming from Laban's sons and from Laban himself. It's focused on, you know, you've got all this stuff and I have nothing. Mm. And that's the wrong motivation. That that wrong motivation, Satan's going to use that to, to make us, to turn us to be hostile toward those that 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 might actually be uh, good forces in our lives. What do you think, Brad? I agree. <laughs> okay. Uh, what what are what are some things? Uh, what are some points of application that that you might have seen? So I've I've thought of a few. So I think I'll just mention one, and um, if you have more, I'll, you can just say any more that you have real quick as well. Um, one that was just coming to my mind though is first Peter chapter two, you know, first Peter talks a lot about suffering, but I think in lieu of what we were just talking about before we moved into application, there's some particular things really, I guess, uh, 11 through the end of the chapter in chapter two, I won't, I won't read this whole section, but, uh, I'll particularly read 13 through 20. Um, it says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor if, for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. What credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if, when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. I think uh, Peter starts his letter with hope, uh, both of the hope of what's 
happened in being born again, but the certainty of the undefiled and um, stable nature of the promise that's ahead of us and how much we can rejoice in that. And recognizing those things, it seems Peter exhorts Christians to see that that equips us to give just an incredible sense of supernatural honor to those who have no natural reason to receive it. And I guess a question to the listener is, you know, at what point of suffering does the honor that you give to an institution or a person um, stop? Like, and, and I guess we could relate that to even like the government we live under uh, right now in America or other governments. Um, you know, at what point does it become excusable to slander author- uh, the people in authority or gossip about them? Um, are those things productive? Are they godly? Are they reasonable or good? Um, you know, because in churches, we talk a lot about like, where's your authority for a practice? Well, where's your authority to slander rulers? Where's your authority uh, to be unkind or harsh or cruel? Um, and I think what we learn with Jacob is if Jacob with just a few promises and some history to hold on to, if he could be so honorable to Laban, Surely we can be honorable to unreasonable things in our present day when Christ has given us an example, as he alludes to in verse 21 to the end of the chapter. Um, so I think, I think I just think one of the biggest applications is showing honor to those who are not worthy of that honor because of the nature of the promise that we have and recognizing who really is the judge, who's really in control. And it just seems like that should dramatically transform my view of those who mistreat me. You know, that is something to think about. Um, you know, do we have people in our midst who are sinners who outshine us in certain ways? Um, you know, I don't know. I, I've, I've known of people in my life who I knew at the time were sinners, but in some ways were very good uh, families that cared about each other, uh, that were close to each other in ways that maybe I haven't even experienced, you know? And so, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that we find good lessons in sinners, but it just, it it is a shame when we see sinners behaving better than the people of God Mm. and it happens. Mm -hmm. Um, and we need to be realistic about that. Um, just kind of, we do have a president right now that I think is, uh, disrespected in a lot of circles. Um, I don't defend him whatsoever. Right. <laughs> uh, I don't have a dog in that, in that race, basically, uh, however you want to say horse in that race, whatever. Um, but I do know that regardless of who is in that position, uh, scripture tells us to honor the King right. there you go. and, and to pray for all people and to, you know, God wants us to appreciate people. And uh, how can we do that when we're so focused on bad-mouthing them or just consumed with their sin? And and that's that's something that we really need to think about when we look at examples like Laban where even in the midst of that depravity and and sinfulness of of serving these false gods and these idols, uh, he's able to understand and say, "Okay, the God of your father told me not to do any harm to you. And so I'm going to follow that, you know, that's, that's pretty neat. (laughs) 
Um, you know, one of the things, Brian, I thought of just very simply is go where God wants mm-hmm. you to go. Mm-hmm. And that's that's something we've already brought up with Abraham. Um, it doesn't seem like Isaac is really uh, brought to make a similar journey, um, even in terms of uh, finding his wife, right? And Rebecca is brought to him. Um, and so, but here Jacob is called to go come back. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's a great thing, uh, as well as we talked about Rachel right. and Leah. So, you know, there may be times in our lives where we understand through Scripture, you know, maybe God doesn't want me to take this job right. because I'm going to be working hours that may take me away from oh, the brethren. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, maybe the college that I really want to go to, uh, maybe there's no faithful congregation in that area. And maybe it's going to be really, really hard for me to really be faithful um, in a place like that. Maybe I need to sacrifice that for the sake of the Lord and go to a place that may not be the flashiest college or the place that I want to go. But maybe I know that there are saints there that will help me and that will be there for me and hold me accountable to the truth. Um, so go go where God wants you no, to go. That's, that's such a good point because... Uh, when we remove ourselves from understanding our role, we begin to protect ourselves in the wrong way. And we protect ourselves in compromising ways. So on that note, the other application that I had in mind was Hebrews chapter 10, 32 through 39. So the Hebrew writer says in the Hebrews that were being written to, the Christians being written to, um, this kind of speaks to, I think, the reason why this letter was written and the problem that this letter was being written about. But remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. The Hebrews were looking for the wrong answer when this letter was written. And this letter was written, I think, to encourage them to see that there's another answer, uh, which is to continue to suffer with the right perspective. Um, something that's it's been on my mind, hard, hard subject, you know, and I think huh, this can be something that, you know, when you're, when you're preaching full time, it can be difficult to talk to brethren about this. And I, I really struggle badly with this. And um, may even be just really timid and maybe uh, cowardly about bringing this up um, out of fear of how I'll be, how I would be perceived in bringing it up in a personal way. But for instance, working during times of assemblies. Um, when I was working at UPS, there was a time when there was a conflict with the time of assembly and I had to be ready to quit that job, uh, my whole job, because of not wanting to compromise the assembly. Um, and that's not to say anything good about myself, just that 
um, my parents um, really raised me with the established value of how important meeting with the church was. Um, you know, and there's, there's just a line that has to be drawn with what, what are we willing to compromise? Um, my dad once said that he tells job interviewers, um, or when he's interviewing for a job that there's no force on earth that will get him into his workplace when the church is meeting. And obviously, you know, I'm sure there can be some force that somehow could, um, could do that. But you get, you, you certainly get the idea when you hear something like that, that there's not going to be a compromise. And I guess what, what does it take? You know, what, what does it take to get us to compromise? You know, do I fear, do I fear that if I lose a certain job that God won't take care of me? Will I, will I be suffering too much out of God's control? Do I want that money more than I want to be with God's people? Um, and it's, and to the Hebrews, he was saying like, look, you guys, you guys were doing great. You were suffering. You were losing your property. Don't, don't give that up. And Hebrews 13, um, Hebrews 13, verse 5 through 6. This is where I think it gets really difficult. And again, like I really struggle with, you know, being supported full-time as a preacher. Um, I really struggle bad with, you know, the idea of, well, that's, that's easy for you to say, you know, but make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you so that we may confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Um, you know, we live in a world that is going to squeeze harder and harder on the convictions of the righteous and the desires of our Lord. Um, but we as the people of God need to make sure that our character is free from the love of money and that we don't forget who our helper really is that the paycheck I get from my work isn't really my source of life. That's not, that's not why I sleep peacefully is because I have a certain amount of money and I can pay my bills on time. And God forbid um, that any saint called by the name of the Lord would betray that confidence. Um, yeah, so that, that, that's a hard application, but I think keeping myself in the position of an outcast who's willing to suffer um, we just can't forget our position, you know, that God's people are a people who suffer. We're not looking to preserve our lives. We're not looking to live rich and comfortable lives. We're not looking to accumulate ease for ourselves and make it to heaven as easy as we possibly can. If it means like Jacob, that we have to have sleep robbed from us and, um, you know, be consumed by heat by day and, and frost by night. If, if I know the Lord is with me, well, isn't that, isn't that the better thing? than having riches and having comfort, but not having the Lord. Um, so I think that's at least worth consideration, and I hope that's not said in too much of a harsh or unreasonable unreasonable sounding way, but I think it's important to think about. You know, I've heard the, I'll call it an excuse. I've heard the, an excuse before, well, I need to provide for my family. Yeah. God wants me to right. provide that's for my so family. And, yeah. and the, the sad thing there is that it's not, it's not the money leading you astray at that point. It's actually the concept of your right. family. You're putting so much love and focus on your family that you're, again, you're pushing God out of the out of the thing. And your family needs to know that you love God more than anything or anyone else. 
And, and that's, and that's then, so... That, I mean, what, what kind of an example does that set? Yeah, you know? and, and it's very shocking, I think, to a lot of people to try to absorb that. But the idea that, you know, um, I want to go to heaven and I want my family to come with me, but I want to go to heaven. <laughs> you know, and, and, and you, you want others to go to heaven with you. But if push comes to shove, I'm not going to abandon eternity for the sake of my family. Um, and of course, you know, again, some people may think that that's a very harsh viewpoint. And again, we, uh, we welcome emails. We welcome comments about that. Let's talk about that and discuss that, those aspects. But, um, yeah, I think that's very well said, Brian. Um, you know, to, to revisit, uh, Jacob, um, you know, defending himself, one thing that we mentioned, uh, uh, one thing that we mentioned before we recorded, I think, uh, um, was uh, the aspect of Paul's defense. For example, in Philippians three, there's some things that he says about what he did, right, and and the things that he did that were bad, but also the things that he did that were good. And how many times do we see him defending his apostleship? Um, and, well, I mean, we don't see it all over, but we see some times where he has to defend where he is and, and what he's doing. And how confident do we need to be in order to be able to do that? How, how confident do we have to be to say the sorts of things that Jacob said? If I'm pointing out to someone, you've treated me wrong, what does Jesus say? You know, don't, don't point out the speck in your brother's eye when you have a log in your own eye. And I think the aspect of Jacob, he had done everything that he could to be who he ought to be in pretty much every situation there. And uh, I think there's a place where we can say, you know, um, I'm being treated wrongly here. And that doesn't mean that you actively, as you pointed out earlier, it doesn't mean that you actively seek out violence towards someone or hurt them. It doesn't mean you hurt them back the way they've hurt you. That's a worldly way to think. When we think that we have to visit that pain on someone else to make that right, that's unstable. That's not the right kind of thinking. The right kind of thinking is for us to go on and, and rightly point out the errors. But you know what? Hold on to God and let God fight those battles. Mm-hmm. Be confident mm-hmm. where you stand and know that God is with you. And really, this kind of connects with what you said, Bryant. No one can touch you then. No one can hurt you at that point. Mm. And, and, and you stand alone with God. And, and you know, even if the whole world is arrayed against you, you can stand for him. And what a great, uh, wonderful blessing that is. We thank you so much for listening to Walking Through the Book today. We're grateful for your time invested in listening to this podcast. We hope it's useful for you. We know it's useful for us to, to get together and do these things. Thank you so much, Bryant, for your time. Yeah, thank you for uh, allowing me to be a part of this because it's always very, very encouraging. And I hope uh, as a listener, you've been equally encouraged by by listening to us read and talk about God's word. Very good. Well, next time we're going to be getting into Genesis chapter 32. Until then, we encourage you to study well and be lies to God's glory.
The music on this podcast is provided courtesy of Symphonia. Visit their website at symphonia.com. Walking Through the Book is created and promoted with the support of the North Columbus Church of Christ in Columbus, Mississippi. Find out more at northcolumbuschristians.com. The website of the Garden City Church of Christ in Savannah, Georgia is gardencitycoc.org.